The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomapete on SAFM. Ms. Julie Mentor, leader of the Embrace a Woman movement, is now on the line talking to us about teenage pregnancies and the obstetric violence they experience in healthcare centers, largely because of stereotypes as they are young people and the fact that they are young people. The question has got to be reproductive health and associated rights and privileges. In fact, not privileges, rights. Why is it that the younger community of mothers and would-be mothers experience far harsher treatment in this environment of exercising quite easily one thing for many, not all, one thing for many impresses upon them their womanhood as is the facility of giving birth. Julie, good evening. Thank you for joining us. Good evening, Sumgezo. Thank you so much for having me on. Mm, Let's talk about this because this is a silent killer in many respects. It lends itself Mm. to so many social challenges in the country, but unfortunately, and we're trying with this a very little conversation, which will not do much, but it is Mm. a start. Why are young mothers the target of such assaults, not just the physical assaults on them, but especially the psychological assaults on them, Mm. the obstetric Mm. violence? Why, why, why is that? So I think um, I mean it's important, you know, to talk about what we know and what we don't know. So just looking at uh, some figures that were, that was released by the Department of Health um, for the year 2020 um, indicated that about 132,000 teenage girls that um, between the ages of 15 and 19 fell pregnant that year. So it's a big number, um, and. We we know that women who are, are not teenagers, um, women of all ages, um, really struggle with poor uh, levels of respect um, and do not get respect for maternity care in South Africa as a standard practice. Although it is written into all policies and it is, um, you know, it is something that one would assume, you know, that the most care is given to to women um, or to people, birthing people around the time of pregnancy and and childbirth. Unfortunately, there are many systemic factors that make this not the case. What are Um, those? And like, well, there, I mean, so, so, I mean, a lot of it, if we look at um, how healthcare systems are are managed, you know, inadequate resources, including um, numbers of qualified midwives and nursing staff, uh, overcrowded facilities, burnt out staff. I mean, when we talk about this issue holistically, we never want to just wag fingers at, uh, you know, the, the people who are doing the, the care work because often, you know, the, the issues happen so much uh, higher up the ladder, so to speak. Uh, you know, simple things like nurses reporting that they're not given proper uh, gloves and, you know, uh, PPE to be able to care for mothers who are in labour, um, and then there, are, you know, there are there are fundamentally just issues around how women um, and birthing people are treated, uh, what we think about people's bodies, what we think about um, how paternalism runs within the healthcare system, and how that that manifests in how uh, women and birthing people are treated, and then like anything. Um, you know, there are in, these issues all have um, a certain amount of intersectionality to them. 
So if you are a woman, uh, potentially you have a particular risk factor of being treated poorly. But if you are disabled, that goes, um, you know, that's your risk factor increases. And the same then, or if you're a foreign national, it increases. If you're a young person, if you're a teenager, it increases too. Um, and there'll be many reasons for that, you know, uh, cultural views on teenagers, our moral views on teenagers, they shouldn't be in this position, they should be abstaining from sex. Meanwhile, we know that, uh, you know, there was a report that was released in Gauteng last year about the number of teenage girls aged 10 to 14 uh, in the Gauteng province who fell pregnant. Uh, I don't think that, um, I think we can, we can understand that 10-year-olds are very likely uh, the victims of assault when falling pregnant. And so, but, but I think that these are complex issues that often uh, we struggle to engage with. Um, we struggle to have the conversations. And then what happens is young women will bear the brunt. So they will be ignored or they will have their pain minimized. They will be talked over. They will be shamed. And that shame comes before they even give birth, right? It's the moment that they go to the antenatal clinic, which often they're so fearful of doing that they book late, which means that then they're seen as being lazy and, you know, or, or being um, unresponsible, um, irresponsible to their, to their unborn uh, child. Um, and so it's an incredible weight to put on someone who is at such a tender age um, and has so much to carry uh, emotionally and, and now physically. Um, and, and we just, we don't have sufficient youth-friendly services, healthcare services in the country to be able to really understand that, yes, a teenage person who is pregnant will go through pregnancy like anyone else who is pregnant, but that they have particular vulnerabilities um, and they have particular needs of care that need to be met but unfortunately aren't. Mm, I want to talk about the one vulnerability, which is often always the case here, the absence of the impregnator. It could be one's mm. contemporary. It mm. could be one who was in a position of power. And Absolutely. because now things have happened as they would have, that power has to be protected. And if it means to shun the mother, then so be it. I want to engage mm. that a little bit later. Mm. My statistics tell me, or even perception tells me, that in this sort of environment, the healthcare workers would more likely or mostly be female mm. than they are males. How mm -hmm. then can we link this, let me call it violence, the violence mm. occasioned by women on young children, their daughters essentially? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most complex things about tackling this issue because ultimately, you know, as, as a movement that prioritizes the voices and the experiences of mothers, our responsibility is two mothers and we include in this group you know young mothers teenage mothers um and the reality is that as you said many healthcare workers are also mothers and so it is what adds to the fact that the, the complexity of this issue the defensiveness that comes in that we're actually having to at some point say yes this is systemic yes burnout happens yes you know, staff are completely under-resourced and overwhelmed and not cared for themselves psychosocially. But, you know, it was a, a someone's mother who laid the hands on someone else's mother, you know, or someone's mother who shouted uh, demeaning, shaming words to someone's teenage daughter. Um, and that is something that 
we as a society we need to tackle with to tackle um you know we we say that this is the effects of what we say is paternalism within the healthcare system which is you know a, a power um sort of imbalance that means that ultimately those in power feel disempowered and so take that power out on someone that disempowerment out on someone who has even less power than them and that model means that as you said you've got you know women abusing women to put it frankly um, and unless we're willing to have these conversations uh, and to acknowledge our part you know and and to acknowledge our part as both working in the development space uh, as people working within healthcare systems um, to say yes conditions are not ideal um, we need to work at that. There are policy um, reforms that need to happen. We need to have better training practices for healthcare workers, um, you know, and that obviously uh, subsectioned to youth training programs. But ultimately, every person in power, every healthcare practitioner, uh, every person working within a healthcare sort of setting, also needs to take the responsibility to say, "I will not do this." I will not be a part of this. And that's hard. That's hard. Um, and But until we kind of are willing to have those conversations and hold those kinds of spaces, um, I think it's going to be something that's going to be difficult to tackle. Let's talk about the second aspect to which I made reference to. How do we create a society that doesn't, because I think this is all predicated on stigma, mm-hmm. that stigmatize teenage pregnancy look mm. however stigmatized or not what is not going to change is the fact that there is a child in a mm. womb a young mm. womb to boot how do we ensure first of all of these things that need to be tackled mm. the sense of responsibility then is inculcated however uncomfortable it would be mm. the only reason why the boy child probably will not be getting the sort of attention is simply because at that point he or would not have to be dealing with with the physical aspects of mm. pregnancy, but surely there's a lot more to pregnancy than just carrying the child. And everything that the boy is running away from, that young girl has to deal with. And Absolutely. what I'm saying becomes even worse if it is somebody in a position of power, and mm. we see with, and we're talking about young girls in the context of education because that's the reference I have now, many mm. teachers doing what they should never be doing, statutory rape is the official... Mm definition of this engagement where they impregnate their learners or lecturers, students and pastors, young girls in churches, oftentimes happening in spaces of trust and spaces of development because that's where you're going to be finding the young girls outside Mm -hmm. their homes. How how Mm -hmm. do we tackle that social scourge? Mm -hmm. Again, another very complicated and complex story. I think it starts with listening. Um, I think we have not had to scratch below the surface too deep to meet a number of women, some whom are still teenagers themselves, but many who were those teenagers that we're speaking about, who are willing to talk about their experiences. Um, I know this is something, this is a big part of our work at Embrace, is to, to surface those stories, because what if you come, if in a society we are willing to put everything we've believed about teenage pregnancy aside, and truly listen to how it comes to be, how it happens, all the, the, as you said, the power dynamics at play, 
um, all the responsibility that as a society we've put on the most vulnerable of, of children. Um, you know, when you listen, it's very, very difficult to, to you know, be that one to, to pick up a stone and throw it first. Um, but sometimes, you know, we're just, as you know, we have this particular uh, sort of moral high ground that we like to take that actually um, unintentionally causes us to close our ears. And that absolutely has to stop. Um, storytelling, you know, the power of storytelling is real. And, and, and undervalued, um, but that is something that needs to happen. We need to create spaces to be able to listen to teenagers. You know, they've got a lot of wisdom. They've been through a lot, um, and so we need to understand. And then again, once we've listened and we've heard how this happens, we need to absolutely uh, talk about what the responsibility is at all the different levels and who is responsible and how we're going to ensure that that responsibility is enforced. So what does that look like uh, being a community that comes around school? You know, what, are, what does that look like about how, you know, school governing bodies run and school leadership is managed? Uh, community and homes, you know, if we know there is a, a young girl or children uh, who are, you know, in potentially a dangerous situation or being left on their own, you know, is there, are there ways that we can come around, uh, you know, those children? And so there is a responsibility at play, but we cannot be aware and we cannot change what we don't acknowledge. And, you know, again, that's, that's really, you know, the, the pain, I think the pain has always been there. Teenage pregnancy has always been there. Uh, it has obviously increased as, um, we have uh, seen increased pressure on society and increased social struggles, um, but it has always been there. I think we're just having, uh, you know, people are, are being braver to talk about it now, um, and and we need to be willing to listen and we need to be willing to to do what it takes to to change this narrative and to take responsibility. As specifically speaking to the adults uh, listening, obviously the responsibility is actually not in the hands of of the teenagers alone and definitely not only at the hands of the teenage that the brings child. in the home doesn't it that brings mm-hmm. in the home the value of the home and by extension the community the neighbors Absolutely. when we're talking about south africa's social services i mean it is widely acknowledged that we are hitting below where we should be hitting. Mm. So the value of social work certainly can be seen as one of the issues or one of the puzzle pieces that are missing in attending and arresting this. You mentioned the fact Mm. that many people in many homes are vulnerable because Mm. of a myriad of social issues. And that Mm. obviously lends itself to this. And you find that the cycle, let me call it poverty, the cycle of poverty replicates Mm. itself. My mother was 16 when she had me. When I'm 14, I'm already sexually active. And at 18, I've got two children. And because this is the environment from which I come, nobody's really in a position, for whatever the reason, Mm -hmm. to change, if you like, the cycle. And the absence of our social workers in South African communities, more especially in such vulnerable communities, Mm -hmm. therefore becomes that much more pronounced. Final comment from you? Yeah, I mean, I think again, it's <laughs> it's telling when we look at the the roles, the care roles in society that we so desperately need, often go to people who are overworked and completely underpaid, and so we need to shift. You know, when it comes to social workers, they 
they they do play such an incredibly valuable role, and I think we need to figure out how to value them more and support them better uh, to enable them to do their jobs. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, these cycles of poverty uh, a need. This, these are big structural systemic issues um, that you know I would be difficult to change within one family, but they are. There are things that can be done, and there are incredible organizations um, who are really working to understand uh, specifically the teen and adolescent space better, um, and, and their work should absolutely be supported. Um, I think immediately of our sister, um, we're just working at the Zero Dropout campaign. Um, you know, this is their work around how to protect dropout at school, and they've just put out a publication on on, on the gendered nature of school dropout, you know, tackling teen pregnancy. So there are people doing this incredible thinking work, and it is about organizations like ours, like theirs, partnering together, um, and then having that mirrored with faith-based communities, with social communities, within families, school bodies, you know, within corporate spaces, uh, obviously with government, to, to say that, you know, our, our children... Um, deserve better, um, and that is our responsibility as adults to do that care work for them, um, and not to judge straight away, but to acknowledge our role, to acknowledge our role in their pain, and to acknowledge our role in in their support and their care going forward. Fantastic, lovely thoughts coming from you, Miss Julie Mentor, leader of the Embrace a Woman movement, talking to us about the challenges faced by teenage mothers and the obstetric violence they face in the course of attending to, one, their pregnancy and all the responsibility that is immediately thrust upon that young mind, and moreover, the life that comes as a result of the pregnancy. The time now is 21.46. That's the end of the show substantively. After the break, you will hear my voice.